0: This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at SWRB at SWRB.com by phone at area code 780 450 3730, by fax at area code 780 468 1096, or by mail at 4710 37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. T6L three T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. Repentance What Sayeth the Scriptures by A. W. Pink, as read by Samantha Ellisace. Tape 2. Here then is the explanation why true, true repentance is so little preached today. The sense of God's governmental supremacy has been lost the claims of His righteousness are ignored, the, changing deman- the unchanging demands of His holy law are no longer recognized, hence the unregenerate, not-knowing God, having no sense of His infinite glory, and there being practically nothing in present-day preaching to instruct them therein, it follows that all their fancied reverence for and devotion to God takes its rise from merely selfish considerations, nothing but self-love, the natural instinct of self-preservation lying at the bottom of modern christianity as it is natural for unregenerate men to suppose they deserve something for their duties so it is natural for them to be insensible for the inf- of the infinite evil of their sins and hence it is that new gospels are invented new notions of the way of salvation are contrived to suit the depraved depra- taste of unhumbled and impenitent sinners who are concerned about their own interests and care not what becomes of God's glory. In the third place, true repentance presupposes a frank and a and broken-hearted acknowledgement of our wicked failure to keep God's righteous law. When the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of a sinner to see, in some measure, the supreme excellency and loveliness of the divine character, and shows him how infinitely worthy God is of our sincere adoration, when he assures us of the righteousness and goodness of God's law, and how justly he is entitled to be loved by us with all our hearts, and when he convicts us of our wretched and lifelong failure to respond unto his most just claims upon us, when he makes us feel that so far from having delighted ourselves in this infinitely glorious God, we have sought to dismiss him from our thoughts, and set our hearts upon the perishing things of time and sense, seeking our satisfaction in them, and that so far from having owned his rightful supremacy over us and his just claim for our lives to be governed by him, we have scorned his authority, ignored his commandments, and acted only in self-will, then it is, for the first time we begin to perceive the infinite evil of sin and are filled with self-loathing, horror, and grief at our terrible course of conduct. What we have just endeavored to set forth is as different from what the strivings of an uneasy uneasy conscience produce as light is from darkness. One who has never been the subject of the supernatural and gracious operations of the Spirit may may blame himself for Sabbath-breaking, taking the Lord's name in vain, lying, drunkenness, who has never felt himself to blame for being disaffected to the divine character. Even the wicked king Saul once acknowledged, I have sinned, I have played the fool, and have erred exceedingly. First Samuel 26 verse 21 So has many another since then who was altogether blind to the chief thing wherein he was to blame. While men are ignorant of the beauty of God's character, of how absolutely worthy he is of being loved, while they perceive not the equity and blessedness of his law, of how absolutely entitled it is to implicit, unremitting, and, and joyous obedience, it is impossible that they should repent because of their failure to render this to him. Just as the absence of love to God, together with disaffection to his holy character, lies at the root and influences the whole course of wickedness which mankind generally live in, So when scripture calls upon men to repent of particular sins and turn to God it is their lack of love for God and their enmity against his law as manifested in and by their particular sins which they are required to repent of. There is no sin whatsoever that any man is guilty of but what it proceeds from a disrespect of God's character and a disregard of his authority. Thus it was said of David's sin that he had not only that he not only had despised the commandment of the lord but had despised me the lord second samuel 12 verse 9 and 10 therefore in repentance we are required not only to judge our particular sins but also that insubordination to god which produced them we are to unsparingly and bitterly condemn ourselves because we have treated the lord of glory the king of the universe with contempt That is the crime for which we are, above all things else, to blame. Not until we have realized that our rebellion against God was such that nothing but the death of Christ could possibly atone for it, have we truly repented. The design of repentance Thus, genuine and saving repentance is a taking sides with God against myself. It is not that our repentance extirpates our sins, For there is nothing meritorious about it. It makes no amends for our past vile conduct, nor does it move God to mercy. Yet is repentance required, yea, demanded of us, and divine mercy is not shown where no repentance is. No, repentance is designed to make the heart loathe sin, and that through a deep sense of its infinite enormity and dreadful pollution... It is to make us dread sin through a heart realization of its awful guilt. Only thus is the stubborn will broken and the heart made contrite and prepared to turn unto the Lord Jesus and seek salvation through Him by grace alone. Three kinds of repentance spoken of in Scripture. We trust that sufficient has been said in the previous sections to enable any exercised and prayerful reader To distinguish between a false and a true repentance Between a non-saving and saving one There are three kinds of repentance spoken of in scripture First, that of desperation Esau, Pharaoh, Ahithophel and Judas are illustrations Second, that of reformation Ahab and that which was brought about under the preaching of Jonah are illustrations Third, that which is unto salvation Acts 11, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 It is most important that we learn to discriminate between legal conviction and evangelical repentance. Multitudes are deceived at this point. They suppose that because they have been terrified through contemplation of the wrath to come and have abandoned many of their evil ways, they have repented. This by no means follows. A legal conviction fears hell Evangelical repentance reveres God. The one dreads punishment, the other hates sin. The one informs the mind, the other melts the heart. Evangelical repentance makes no excuses and has no reserves, but cries, I have dishonored thy name, grieved thy spirit, abused thy patience. When a sinner is brought to truly realize that he is in great danger, he earnestly desires and diligently seeks deliverance but that is from the natural instinct of self-preservation and not because of supernatural grace at work in his heart. Tell him that nothing is required from him except to believe in Christ, rest on his finished work, and like a stony ground hearer, he at once receives the word with joy, and no human can make him doubt his salvation. Yet his heart has never been broken before God, nor has he any true love for him. Such people mend their ways and become zealous religionists. They pray earnestly, read their Bible frequently and sometimes become active workers in warning their fellows but tell such that notwithstanding their tears, zeal and believing the letter of scripture they deserve to be damned as much as they ever did and that God can justly refuse them mercy and their enmity against him is likely to become swiftly apparent. Thousands of deceived souls in Christendom deluded by the false gospelers of the day love a God who has no existence except in their own disordered imagination and terrible beyond words will be their disillusionment in the next world. Quote How sad and dreadful thing will it be for such poor sinners when they come to die and enter into the world of spirits there to find that the God they once loved and trusted in was nothing but an image framed in their own fancy. They hated the God of Scripture and hated His law and therefore would not believe that either God or his law were indeed what they were. They were resolved to have a God and a law more to their own minds. How dreadful will will their disappointment be! How terrible their surprise! They would never own that they were enemies to God. Now they will see that their enmity was so great as to make them resolutely, notwithstanding the plainest evidence, even to deny him to be what he was. And how righteous will the ways of the Lord appear to be unto them then in that he gave such over to strong delusion to believe a lie because they would not love nor believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. End of quote by J. Bellamy While God be considered merely as creditor and sinners as debtors and Christ is regarded as paying the whole debt of all who believe it cannot but be that souls will be fatally misled because Christ obeyed the law as well as suffered its penalty, it by no means follows that we are discharged from doing our duty. Yet it is now ta- now being taught on every side that Christ has done all, and that there is nothing to do but firmly believe in him that Christians have nothing to do with the law, no not as a rule of life, that they have been freed from all obligations to any duty. But scripture affirms that Christ died to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Titus 2.14 And that so far from the Christian being discharged from duty, his obligations are immeasurably increased by the grace of the gospel. Romans 12.1 But everything is viewed in a false light today, and instead of Christ being regarded as the friend of holiness, he is made the the minister of sin. Spurgeon on Repentance Quote, Repentance, to be sure, must be entire. Many will say, Sir, I will renounce this sin and the other, but there are certain darling lusts which I must keep. O sirs, in God's name let me entreat you. It is not the giving up of any one sin, nor fifty sins, which is true repentance. It is the solemn renunciation of every sin. If thou dost harbor one of these accursed vipers in thy heart, Thy repentance is but a sham. If thou dost indulge in but one lust and dost give up every other, that one lust, like one leak in a ship, will sink thy soul. Think it not sufficient to give up thy outward vices. Fancy it not enough to cut off the more corrupt sins of thy life. It is all or none which God demands. Repent, says he. And when he bids you repent, he means repent of all thy sins. Otherwise, he can never accept thy repentance as being real. He says, "Gild thee as thou wilt, O sinner, I abhor thee. Ay, make thyself gaudy like the snake in its azure scales, I hate thee still. For I know thy venom, and I will flee from thee when thou comest to me in thy most specious garb. All sin must be given up, or else ye shall never have Christ. All transgression must be renounced. Renounced or else the gates of heaven must be barred against thee. Let us remember this, that repentance to be sincere, let us remember this, that repentance to be sincere, it must be entire. True repentance is a turning of the heart as well as the life. It is the giving up of the whole soul to God to be his forever and ever. It is a renunciation of the sins of the heart as well as of the crimes of the life. Ah, dear hearers, let none of us fancy we have repented when we have only a false and fictitious repentance. Let none of us take that to be the work of the Spirit, which is only the work of poor human nature. Let us not dream that we have savingly turned unto God when perhaps we have only turned to ourselves. Let us not think it enough to have turned from vice to virtue. Let us remember it must be a turning of the whole soul to God so as to be made anew in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, we have not met the requirements of the text. Lastly, upon this point, true repentance must be perpetual. It is not my turning to God during today that will be proof that I am a true convert. It is forsaking my sins throughout the whole course of my life until I sleep in the grave. You must not fancy that to be upright for a week will be a proof that you are saved. It is a perpetual Perpetual abhorrence of evil The change which God works Is neither a transitory nor superficial one Not a cutting off the top of the weed But an eradication of it Not the sweeping away of the dust of one day But the taking away of that Which is the cause of the dust You may today go home and pretend to pray You may today be serious Tomorrow honest And the next day you may pretend to be devout But yet if you return As the scripture has it like the dog to its vomit, and like the sow to its wallowing in the mire, your repentance shall but sink you deeper into hell instead of being a proof of divine grace in your heart. End of quote. From Spurgeon's sermon on Psalm 7, verse 12. Would that such faithful sermons were being preached in the so-called orthodox and fundamentalists' pulpits today. Quote, to learn by heart that which others say from the heart, to get the outline of a believer's experience and then to adopt it skillfully to oneself as our own experience, this is a thing so simple that instead of wondering there are hypocrites, I often marvel that there are not ten times more. And then again, the graces, the real graces within, are very easy to counterfeit. There is a repentance that needs to be repented of and yet approaches near as possible to true repentance. Does repentance make men hate sin? They who have a false repentance may detest some crimes. Does repentance make men resolve that they will not sin? So will this false repentance. For Balaam said, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I will not go beyond the word of the Lord. Does true repentance make men humble themselves? So does false repentance. For Ahab humbled himself before God, and yet perished. There is a line of distinction so fine that an eagle's eye hath not seen it, and only God himself and the soul that is enlightened by his spirit can tell whether our repentance be real or no. End of quote. Spurgeon on Luke 13, verse 24. To help the exercised reader identify true repentance, let us consider fourthly its fruits. First, a real hatred of sin as sin not merely its consequences. A hatred not only of this or that sin, but of all sin, and particularly of the root itself, self-will. Thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Ezekiel 14, verse 6. He who hates not sin loves it. God's demand is, ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight, for all your evils that you have committed. Ezekiel 20, verse 43. One who, has repented, who, one who has really repented can truthfully say, I hate every false way. Psalm 119, verse 104. He who once thought a course of holy living was a gloomy thing has another judgment now. He who once regarded a course of self pleasing as attractive now detests it and has purposed to forsake all sin forever. This is a change of mind which God requires. Second, a deep sorrow for sin. The non-saving repentance of so many is principally a distress occasioned by forebodings of divine wrath, but evangelical repentance produces a deep grief from a sense of having offended so infinitely excellent and glorious a being as God. The one is the effect of fear, the other of love. THE ONE IS ONLY FOR A BRIEF SEASON THE OTHER IS THE HABITUAL PRACTICE FOR LIFE MANY A MAN IS FILLED WITH REGRET AND REMORSE FOR A MISSPENT LIFE YET HAS NO POIGNANT SORROW OF HEART FOR HIS INGRATITUDE AND REBELLION AGAINST GOD BUT A REGENERATED SOUL IS CUT TO THE QUICK FOR HAVING DISREGARDED AND OPPOSED HIS GREAT BENEFACTOR AND RIGHTFUL SOVEREIGN THIS IS THE CHANGE OF HEART WHICH GOD REQUIRES Ye sorrow to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, Second Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10. Such a sorrow is produced in the heart by the Holy Spirit and has God for its object. It is a grief for having despised such a God, rebelled against His authority and been indifferent to His glory. It is this which causes us to weep bitterly, Matthew 26, verse 75. He who has not grieved over sin takes pleasure therein. God requires us to afflict our souls, Leviticus 16, verse 29. His call is, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Joel 2 verse 12 and 13 Only that sorrow for sin is genuine which causes us to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts Galatians 5 verse 24 Third, a confessing of sin He that covereth his sins shall not prosper Proverbs 28 verse 13 It is a second nature to the sinner to deny his sins directly or indirectly to minimize or make excuses for them It was thus with Adam and Eve at the beginning but when the Holy Spirit works in any soul his sins are brought to the light and he in turn acknowledges them to God. There is no relief for the stricken heart until he does so. When I kept silence my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me my moisture is turned into the drought of summer Psalm 32 verse 3 and 4 The frank and broken-hearted owning of our sins is imperative if peace and conscience is to be maintained. This is the change of attitude which God requires. Fourth, an actual turning from sin. Quote, Surely there is no one here so stupefied with the laudanum of hellish indifference as to imagine that he can revel in his lust and afterwards wear the white robes of the redeemed in paradise. If you imagine you can be partakers of the blood of Christ and yet drink the cup of Belial, if you imagine you can be members of Satan and members of Christ at the same time, ye have less sense than one would give you credit for. No, you know that the right hands must be cut off, and right eyes plucked out, that the most darling sins must be renounced if you would ever enter the kingdom of if you would enter the kingdom of God End of quote. from Spurgeon on Luke thirteen verse twenty four. Three Greek words are used in the New Testament which represent different phases of repentance. First, metanoio, which means a change of mind, Matthew 3, verse 2, Mark 1, verse 15, etc. Second, metamelome, which means a change of heart, Matthew 21, verse 29 and 32, Hebrews 7, verse 21, etc. Third, metanoia, which means a change of course of life. Matthew 3, verse 8, Matthew 9, verse 13, Acts 20, verse 21 These three must go together for a genuine repentance. Many experience a change of mind. They are instructed and know better, but they continue to defy God. Some are even exercised in heart and conscience, yet they continue in sin. Some amend their ways, yet not from love to God and hatred of sin, Some are informed in mind and uneasy in heart who never reform their lives. These three must go together. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proverbs 28.13 He who does not fully in his heart's desire and increasingly so in his life turn from his wicked ways has not repented. If I really hate sin and sorrow over it Shall I not abandon it? Note carefully the wherein in time past of Ephesians 2, verse 2 and were sometimes of of Titus 3, verse 3. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. Isaiah 55, verse 7. This is the change of course which God requires. Fifth, accompanied by restitution where that is necessary and possible. No repentance can be true which is not accompanied by a complete abandonment of life. The prayer of a genuinely repentant soul is, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51, verse 10 And where one really desires to be right with God, he does so with his fellow men, too. One who in his past life has wronged another and now makes no determined effort to do any to do everything in his power to right that wrong. Certainly has not repented. John G. Patton tells of how, after a certain servant was converted, the first thing he did was restore unto his manner, master all the articles which he had stolen from him. Sixth, these fruits are permanent, because true repentance is preceded by a realization of the loveliness and excellency of the divine character, and an apprehension of the exceeding sinfulness of sin for having treated with contempt so infinitely a glorious being, contrition for and hatred of all evil is abiding. As we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, of our indebtedness and obligations to Him, our repentance deepens, we judge ourselves more thoroughly and take a lower and lower place before Him. The more the heart pants after a closer walk with God, the more will it put away everything which hinders this. Seventh, yet repentance repentance is never perfect in this life. Our faith is never so complete that we get to the place where the heart is no more harassed with doubtings, and our repentance is never so pure that it is altogether free from hardness of heart. Repentance is a lifelong act. We need to pray daily for a deeper repentance. In view of all that has been said, We trust it is now abundantly clear to every impartial reader that those preachers who repudiate repentance are to poor lost souls physicians of no value. They who leave out repentance are preaching another gospel, Galatians 1.6, then Christ, Mark 1.15 and Mark 6.12, and His apostles, Acts 17.30 and 20.21, proclaimed, Repentance is an evangelical duty, though it is not to be rested in, for it contributes nothing to sal- unto salvation. Those who have never repented are yet in the snare of the devil, Second Timothy 2, verse 25 and 26, and are treasuring up unto themselves wrath against the day of wrath, Romans 2, verse 4 and 5. Quote, If, therefore, sinners would take the wisest course to be better for the use of the means of grace, they must try to fall in with God's design and the Spirit's influences and labor to see and feel their their sinful, guilty, undone state. For this end they must forsake vain company, drop their inordinate worldly pursuits, abandon everything which tends to keep them secure in sin, and quench the motions of the Spirit. And for this end must they read, meditate, and pray, comparing themselves with God's holy law, trying to view themselves in the same light that God does, and pass the same judgment upon themselves, so that they may be in the way to approve of the law and admire the grace of the gospel, to judge themselves and humbly apply to the free grace of God through Jesus Christ for all things and return through him to God. End of quote by J. Bellamy. Summary A summary of what has been before us may be helpful to some. First, repentance is an evangelical duty and no preacher is entitled to be regarded as a servant of Christ if he is if he be silent thereto, Luke 24, verse 47. Second, repentance is required by God in this dispensation, Acts 17, verse 30, as in all preceding ones. Third, repentance is in no wise meritorious, yet without it the gospel cannot be savingly believed, Matthew 21, verse 32, Mark 1, verse 15. Fourth, repentance is a spirit-given realization of the exceeding sinfulness of sin and a taking side with God against myself. Fifth, repentance presupposes a heart approval of God's law and a full consent to its righteous requirements which are all summed up in Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, etc. Sixth, repentance is accompanied by a genuine hatred of and sorrow for sin. Seventh, repentance is known by its permanency. There must be a continual turning away from sin and grieving over each fall therein too. Ninth, repentance while permanent is never complete or perfect in this life. And tenth, repentance is to be sought as a gift from Christ. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete meal order catalogue, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at area code 780-450-3730, by fax at area code 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog.